How are y'all? Yeah. How are y'all? I don't know if you all can tell, but these lights are super, super bright up here. Uh, but it's great to be back in this space with you all this morning. Now I'm going to go up. No, no, maybe a little further up. It looks good here, doesn't it? You, I don't think you've ever looked this good, Tier. It's so blue. If I go over here, I'm pink. So. Oh, gosh. So, from our reading this morning, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. Palm Sunday, Holy Week, the Passion, all of that is in front of Jesus. Jesus has been traveling to Jerusalem with his disciples along with a growing number of followers as he's making his way towards the city. And for some reason, a reason that rattles my mind sometimes. While Jesus is focusing on what lies ahead, what he knows is going to happen, what he just told his disciples was going to happen. James and John, a couple of brothers, think that this is the time when they need to proposition Jesus with a request. But it's one of those times when they are talking to the Son of God, to make a request, but first they need a blank check from him. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Sounds like a dangerous request. Jesus had just talked about condemnation, mocking, spitting, flogging, death, and resurrection. And these two brothers, for some reason, think it's the time to set themselves up as the Son of God's right and left-hand men. Grant us to sit at your right and one at your left in your glory. Jesus is focused on what is about to happen. James and John are focused on themselves and their own station. On first glance, when we read this story in Mark's Gospel, at least this is what I'm thinking in my mind... Come on, guys. You still don't get it? What has been so unclear over the last three years of traveling with this guy that you think now is the right time to make this kind of request? Each of us are presented with fearful situations and whether you are eight months old or 80 years young, we all of us respond in one of three ways or a combination. The first is fluff. That doesn't sound like a great way to respond to fear, but fluff is when the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you get goosebumps all over your body. Some people think that might be nerves taking over, but if you look back at our ancestors who had a bit more hair on their bodies, or if you look at animals in your home or animals in nature, you will see that fluff is about elevating your status or at least making the people around you think that you are bigger than you really are. The second is freeze. Freeze is just what it sounds like. That's when we stop in our tracks and we do not move. A few months ago, 
Allison, Camden, Nora, and I were traveling on 495. We were coming back from my grandmother's house. We were on the inner loop going to 66. And Allison was driving, and at some point in our travels around the Beltway, a tractor trailer decided it wanted to be in our lane. Specifically, it wanted to be in the exact same spot on the Beltway that we, are, we were at that exact same time. So as I saw the tractor trailer merging into us, my response was to alert Allison, who was driving, who, by the way, had already seen it, knew what was coming, and did the proper safety maneuvers that you need to do in these situations. But me, in the passenger seat, I'm slamming my foot on the floor to go faster, and I want to shout out, look out, look out. In my mind, that's what I wanted to do, but all I could muster up was, uh, I was frozen. I could not respond to the threat that I saw coming towards me. And finally, there's focus. Focus is our body's attempt to align ourselves with whatever is directly in front of us, focusing our mind and our body to what that threat is so that we can respond properly. In one way or another, all of us respond to fear in one of those ways or a combination of the three. You know, the beauty of the Gospels, and really the Bible in general, is that one story is connected to the next story and to the story after that, and that story is connected to a whole bunch of stories that we talked about a few months ago. And while we could read our reading this morning in isolation, if we do that, we miss out that three verses earlier, just before Jesus dropped that whole painful death, resurrection thing on the disciples, we read that the disciples were scared. They were afraid. The New Revised Standard Version puts it like this. They were going up the road, going to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. Huh. When we know that the disciples were afraid, this odd and self-righteous request that they made of Jesus to be his right and left hand, it loses its arrogance and it loses its ignorance as we see that their request was more rooted in fear Jesus had told them what was going to happen when they arrived in Jerusalem. If Jesus was going to be handed over to the authorities, if he was going to be spit upon, if he was going to be flogged, if he was going to be tortured, if he was going to die, what was going to happen to those who had been following him for three years? Remember, the disciples gave up everything to follow this man. They left the safety of their homes. They left their families. They left their jobs to follow this traveling rabbi who answered questions with more questions and had a really good knack for irritating the religious and political establishment of the time. James and John knew this better than anyone else because they had been following Jesus since the beginning. So if they... These two brothers were going to follow a guy who would be killed. What would happen to them? When Jesus asked if they actually knew what they were requesting, saying, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Their response is what Stanley Hauerwas, a 
retired professor from Duke Divinity calls disciple bravado. James and John had no idea what they were actually requesting or saying they could bear or what the cost of any of it would be. All they knew that there was a threat in front of them and that they needed to be placed at Jesus' right and left, and that would somehow prevent what they saw as being inevitable. Who sat at his right and left was not up to Jesus, though. And as Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem, he's following the will of the one who sent him to earth in the first place, and the one that was preparing a place for the people who would be at Christ's right and left. So yeah, while James and John will drink from the same cup and will be baptized in the same way, their request was rejected because that the place that they had re- been the place that they had requested was not Jesus's to give away. The fear that comes the fear that of what was to come experienced by the disciples is not much different from the fear that many of us experience today. We see fear in the news. We become afraid of what we see. We see infighting in our own country. We see wars being waged around the war. We see that politics is no longer confined to Capitol Hill. And we see that markets react to all of these things, and we wonder if all that saving that we've been doing is actually going to matter any in the long run. And so we react. We either fluff, we focus, or we freeze. We do all these things while hiding inside what's really going on to those we care about, those around us, especially our kids and those who depend on us. And we worry about our kids. You know, upstairs this morning in the bulletin, there's a welcome. And Pastor Ed this morning wrote a half-page manifesto for it. But in it, he listed off a whole bunch of things that as a parent terrifies me. I'm afraid of it. Because I have kids. And if you don't have kids, you can read this and you can feel afraid because you know kids. You have nieces, you have nephews, your friends have kids, your neighbors have kids. And for better or worse, if you don't have kids, one day when you're old, you're going to need somebody to take care of you. You In his response to James and John, Jesus told his disciples, and we read today that we are invited to live this same life that he lived, facing Jerusalem through the sacraments of baptism and communion. In our baptisms, we call that an initiation into Christ's church. It is Christ and God placing a claim on your life. Your life is no longer your own, but it belongs to God as you put on Christ's life, death, and resurrection. If that's our initiation, then communion then is the invitation for the entire community. Yes, Mount Olivet as a community, but the larger church to assume a childlike reliance on God and live the way of the crucified cross. This way of life is what Jesus was talking about when he says, Whoever wishes to become great among you must be a servant And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Servant. Slave. Giving up one's self, one's own agenda for the sake of caring for other people. 
what Jesus said to his disciples shapes our lives today as his followers, individually, but also as a community. Discipleship means following Jesus with Christ-like, childlike reliance and living a cross-bearing life that resists the power and prestige that we grasp for when our own security is called into question. Jesus lived a cross-bearing life to the point of death so that we can do likewise, faithfully, though like James and John, at times we continue to allow fear to consume us, worrying about our own security and the security of our families, worrying about our station and our status. Christ's ransom for us frees us from slavery to the fear-based question-making fear-based decision-making, and invites us to serve one another with childlike reliance upon the one who has called each of us. Amen.